Church, we're continuing in the sermon series that uh, we started for a while now and we've been doing it. It's entitled Stand and today we're going to be talking about how God calls us to, to stand out. In John chapter 16 verse 33 it says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble but take heart, I have overcome the world. Church, I believe that we can all agree on the fact, I mean, the world is a mess, right? There's a lot going on out there. Some of us, we've got a lot going on in our lives, and I hope that that can give you peace and comfort in knowing that Jesus tells us to, to take heart, that he's overcome the world. He's already taken care of things. So today we're going to be talking about standing out. And, and, you know, a lot of us, we stand out in certain areas of our life. Maybe some of you, when you were in school, or maybe you're currently in school, you, you, you stand out in your grades. I mean, you're the top of your class. You're doing excellent. And maybe some people here have stood out in sports as you're growing up. Some of you maybe stand out in your jobs that you are recognized because you do a phenomenal job where you work. Some of you are known for standing out in other ways, ways that your mama would not be proud about, right? So how do we stand out, church? How did the you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, how, how do we stand out? Well, listen, church, we stand out in the right ways, at the right time, and for the right reason. I want you to hear that again this morning, church. We stand out in the right ways, at the right time, and for the right reason. Church, do you realize that when you stand out in the right ways, at the right time and for the right reason, it can change the course, it can change the direction of your life. When you do what God has called you to do. And see, the flip side is true as well, isn't it? The flip side is true that when we compromise on the wrong things, in the wrong ways, and at the wrong times, it costs us. It comes at a cost way more than we can even imagine at certain times in our lives. And so today what I want to do is I want to focus on the way that God has called us to stand out. Today our text is going to come from the book of Daniel. If you want to look at that with me, Daniel chapter 1. And I want to give you a little bit of the, the backstory of what we're going to be talking about today. So King Nebuchadnezzar is the man we're going to be kind of talking about. And he was an evil king. He destroyed Jerusalem. And so this dude was so evil. He, he didn't just destroy the city. But what he did is he burned the people's temple. He burned their temple, and, and you know what? Not only was he evil and destroyed the city and destroyed the temple, he really wanted to defeat the people. And see, that was their life, right? That is what their life was and all about. So he took all the symbols that, that was important to them in the temple, and he took them out, and he destroyed them in front of them, and then burned the temple down. And he did all of this, church. He did all this basically to say, the worship of your God, Yahweh, is obsolete. The worship of your God, Yahweh, is obsolete. I am taking out anything that matters, anything that is close to you, as you worship the one that you say is the one true God. That's basically what King Nebuchadnezzar was telling the people. And not only did he destroy the temple, not only did he destroy the city, but to make it worse, he essentially said, I'm going to destroy your future as well as your present. Man, church, isn't that how the enemy's working in, our, in this world today? Seriously, that's exactly how he's working. 
So King Nebuchadnezzar, he told this, he told his leaders, he said, I want you to go and find me the sharpest, the brightest of all their sons, and you bring them to me. So basically, church, what he did is he, is he kidnapped them, and, and, and he brought them back. And, and what he was doing is he's saying, I will indoctrinate them in the Babylonian culture, and I will train them for three years. Church, don't we see this in the world today, how the enemy is trying to steal our sons and daughters? He's trying to steal them. And he's trying to indoctrinate them in his ways teaching them the things of the world, dragging them away from what we try to teach them or what God has for them. And that's exactly what the enemy is doing. So he, he's using that mold of King Nebuchadnezzar and he's doing it to our young people today. And it's sad to say he's doing a good job. He's being very effective with it. So if you turn with me now, you have the backstory. Uh, Daniel chapter one, starting in verse three, it says this. Then the king ordered... <coughs> Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And I want to stop there for a moment. So he was going, he was taking the best of the best. I'm talking the good looking, the smart, the athletic. He wanted all that. And some of you dudes, you're looking at your wife, said, they would have took me for sure, right? I would have been gone right now. But what he was trying to do was to indoctrinate them. And then it goes on to tell us this. He was ready to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter into the king's service. So he was wanting to take these young men. Check this out, church. He was wanting to take these young men, the best of the best. I'm talking the finest, the top of the line. And he was wanting to train them in his ways so they could serve him and to do his bidding. Church, this was a very strategic, it was a very intentional plan to indoctrinate these young men into the Babylonian culture. See, the king wanted these young men to think like Babylonians think. The king wanted these young men to behave like Babylonians behave. And the king wanted these young men to believe like the Babylonians believe. Church, do you see this mirror going on here today? You see what the enemy's doing? See, this is much the strategy today of our spiritual enemy. He wants those who are followers of Christ, church, to think like he thinks. And he's coming after our young people. He wants people, followers of Christ, to believe what he believes. He wants followers of Jesus Christ to behave like he would like us to behave. And I believe the enemy, I believe it's all in my heart, the enemy wants to put everybody on this planet earth he wants all of us to disregard the teaching of the one true god church he wants us to submit and surrender to the systems and the thoughts of this world and so as a full-on spiritual attack on the people today as satan lies as he deceives and as he tries to lure people away from the one true God and the life, the best life that God has for you, 
just to give you a lower standard. So church, I seriously, I would argue with everything in me, it's completely impossible. Hear me out this morning, I want you to get this, okay? It's completely impossible to be sort of Christian, kind of Christian, and to have spiritual success in your life. I believe that's impossible. You can't be kind of Christian. It's completely impossible to be what some would say a cultural Christian. I'm hearing that word, that phrase a lot these days. If you don't know what a cultural Christian is, I really want you to understand that today. A cultural Christian is someone who considers themselves to be Christian. Maybe it's because of family background. You know what I'm talking about? You ever ask someone, hey, do you go to church? Where do you go? Oh, yeah, I go to this church over here. Oh, well, you've been teaching lately. Well, I haven't been there in a long time. My grandma goes to that church, and I went when I was nine with her once, right? You know what I'm talking about? Or I go on Christmas and Easter. Yeah, that's, that's when I go. You know, it's kind of that, that background of it. Or maybe it's a personal experience. They claim to be a Christian because of a personal experience. You know, they, they were in the hospital getting ready to have a big surgery. They prayed real quick. You know, God helped me through this, and God saw it through, right? And they're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. It's bigger than that. Or maybe it's a country of residence. <laughs> I hear people say all the time, United States of America is a Christian nation, church. We are far from it. We really are, and that's sad. I hate to break that to you if you never understood that, but we really are. People say they're a Christian because they live in the United States of America. Maybe it's social environment. Some people will classify themselves as a Christian because they're not Buddhist and they're not Muslim. So I guess I'm a Christian, right? That's the way they look at it. People who say they believe in God, who, who claim to believe in him, or say, you know, I'm a good person. I, I try really hard. I, I mean, I'm not religious. I'm not religious like some of those weird people out there that, you know, take it a little bit too far. But I'm a Christian. That is what a cultural Christian is, church. And I would argue that it is completely impossible to be sort of, to be kind of, to be a cultural Christian and have any kind of spiritual room to grow in your life. And so no victory, church. You have no victories over your temptations. You have no victory over the darkness of the world if you are a cultural Christian. It has to be bigger than that. Yeah. See, I can't go to the gym one time a year and work out for an hour and say that I'm physically fit, right? It's just not right. It's not a good thought process. You know what, you, you, you can't say to your wife, one time a year, hey baby, today's the day, I love you. I'm gonna tell you one time a year that I love you and expect her to believe it. You know, you, you can't go to church 90 minutes a week, right? Church is not, some of you guys, it's only 80 minutes because you're 10 minutes late almost every week. I'm just saying, don't get mad at me. I'm, I'm messing with you, kinda kind of messing with you. Set your alarm a little early, okay? You can do that. <laughs> you can't go to church 90 minutes a week and expect to be growing and thriving spiritually. You can't. It doesn't work that way. See, you have to make the presence of God a priority in your life. You got to make it a priority where you seek him, church, where you depend on him, where, where you are living and dwelling on his word and in his word. And he, see where it's feeding you. Church, I'm talking about renewing your mind. Yes. That it's affecting you like that. 
Learning to walk by faith and not by sight. And when you're letting him guide you. Church, you can't be sort of, kind of a Christian. One time years ago when I was in my former job, I had to go to a gas station and talk to the manager there. And I got there early. And this dude was interviewing some young man. And like he was interviewing him out on the sales floor by the candy bar rack. So I'm just kind of sitting there I'm like, I'll watch this show. This will be interesting, right? And so he says this young man, east side of Youngstown, he said to this guy, he's telling him everything you got to do. And he looked at him and he goes, do you steal? And my eyes got like this big. I'm like, I can't believe he just asked this guy who's applying for a job here, do you steal? And let me tell you what, it blew me away. You know what that young man's response was? Eh, just a little. <laughs> he, he, he told him that I just take a little bit. I'm not really a thief because I only steal a little bit. You see where I'm going with this church? You cannot be sort of, you cannot be kind of a Christian. You in order to have that life of victory that he wants you to have, you have to be all in. Man, I want to remind you what it says in Ephesians chapter 6. I read this to you last week. Remember this? And if you don't remember, man, it's good stuff. Pay attention. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 through 13, it says this. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Remember, it's the full armor, not just little pieces of it. you got to wear the whole thing. And then it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Church, it's not just your neighbor that you don't like. It's not just that person that you argue with at work that you think that you're doing battle against. The Bible says it's bigger than that. It's crazier than that. Verse 13 says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if, church, when that day comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. So he tells this church that we've got to stand. Remember, church, what you have to do so that you can make a stand. Remember what it is that you have to do so that you can stand, to take your stand against the devil's schemes. Because, man, he is plotting against you constantly. The day that you got saved, that you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Man, I tell people this all the time. When they accept Christ and they, they follow him in Christian baptism, I'm like, you better buckle up. Because he's lost you. And he's not a good loser. The enemy's not a good loser. He ramps it up against you. So that's why we put on the full armor of God. So that we can take a stand. Take a stand against the devil's schemes. And sometimes, church, you have to take a stand for that most. I'm talking about at the right time. I'm talking about the right way. Listen, church, the right way. I see so much going on in this world today. And man, Christians are not giving us a good name by the way they're taking their stand. So you take your stand at the right time, in the right way, and church for the right reasons. For the right reasons. Do you realize, church, that you're going to be held accountable for your stands and your stances in your life? And even the places you don't stand where you should have. You will stand before God and give a full account on what it is that you stand for and what you stand up for and how you stand out. 
So whatever it is that you're chasing after, you know, your stand, the things that you're saying, this is what I believe, or this is what I'm fighting for. Here's my main question for you, church. With everything that's going on in the world today, here's my main question for you. Does the stand and the stance that you are taking, does it line up with God's word? Bottom line. Because you will be held accountable. You'll be held accountable. Understand that if you're not standing out, church, if you're not standing out, then you know what you're doing? You're blending in. You are blending in. And so, I want you to think about this for a minute. If you're blending in, if you're making the wrong stands at the wrong time and at the wrong place, then I want you to think about this. Are you truly a committed follower of Jesus Christ? Man, that can hurt. I know that, but I really want you to get it. This is like, this is like eternal issues here, church. Are you truly a committed follower of Jesus Christ? See, that's what we see in Daniel. Go back with me to Daniel chapter 1 again. I want you to see some really cool stuff here. In Daniel chapter 1, right, we talked about how the king, right, he's bringing these young dudes in, and they're going to train them. Give me three years. We're going to give them everything they need to wipe away their heritage and their background. Check out verse 6. It says, among those who were chosen, some from Judah, Daniel, Mishael, and Azariah, the chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the same name, Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So listen, church, here's what he did. He, he cha he's changing their diets, and he's changing their names. He's changing their names. And so why did they change these guys' names? Most biblical scholars will say, I mean, it's not exactly written in there. These are guys that are just, you know, figuring things out. Most biblical scholars will say these guys were between 12 and 15 years old. So that very impressionable age, right? They're, they're developing rapidly, mentally, physically, all those things. They were young men. And so what happened here? They stripped them of their identity. They took them a thousand miles away from their home. And they crushed their dignity crushed it. And the first thing the king wanted to do was change their names. Do you know why? It's because their original names were tied to the worship of Yahweh, the one true God. Biblical times, church, when you named your kid, you didn't like pull out that baby name book and said, well, that one sounds so cute. And I knew a girl that was named this and she was beautiful. So I'm going to name my daughter that. She'll be beautiful too, right? No, that's not how they did it. They named their children names with purpose, that they would grow into that name, that they would become that name. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, he's no dummy. He's saying, we're going to strip them of that too, of their identity and God, and he gave them new names that were tied to the worship of false pagan gods. And so their new names, tied to those false pagan gods, every time someone called their name, it was a reminder, their brand new name, you are no longer that one, you are now this one. Enemy's crafty, isn't he? And so every time someone called their name, it was a reminder that they're now serving a pagan god. That they are now in captivity. They, they say their name. 
And when they were saying their name, they're like, you're not serving Yahweh anymore. They were stripped of their identity, and, and so they changed their diet as well. So change their names, <clears throat> change their diet. You're going to eat from the king's table. Man, some of you would be like, all right, bring it on, man. Eat the king's table. That's good food, right? It really wasn't. See, this created a real problem for Daniel and his friends. It did. It created a problem for Daniel and his friends. They wanted to honor and worship God in every single way possible. And to drink and eat anything dedicated to a false god would cross the line. Because the Babylonians, that's what they did. The, the food that was served to the king, it was a sacrifice to a pagan god. And so they would be disrespecting God at that moment. Check out verse 8 with me, if you will. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. So again, church, Daniel, he was resolved. He's standing firm. He's saying, yeah, I, I can't do that. I don't want to defile myself. I don't want to bust out on my God like that. And so check this out. Daniel didn't fight back when they gave him a new name. The Bible doesn't record that. He didn't fight back when they gave him a brand new name. He kind of had that attitude, like, call me whatever you want. I know who I am in my heart, right? I know exactly who I am. Sticks and stones, break my bones, names will never hurt me, right? I know who I am. You call me whatever you want. That outward name does not define who I am in my heart. And I want you to think, church, when do you take a stand? Think about this, church. When do you take a stand? See, Daniel, he took a stand when God's name might be defamed. He took a stand when it was coming down to the, the, my relationship with God could be messed up over this. You know, I won't let you insult the name of my God. I am resolved not to defile myself, not to eat that food. Daniel, right, before temptation ever presented itself, he was predecided what he was going to do. I mean, he walked in saying, I know what I'm doing. You know what? He predecided what he would do and what he wouldn't do. And that church is why he was successful. That's why he was successful. He had not predecided when the food was placed in front of him. He did not predecide as he was just starving because I ain't ate all day long. He could have done what. Man, I've done so many times in my life. Maybe what you've done so many times in your life, he could have compromised. He could have compromised. He could have rationalized, even though it wasn't right. How many times do we rationalize things, church? We rationalize things all the time. Hey, you know, I would have said, you know what, food looks pretty good. Obviously, it's from God because it looks good, right? God only makes good stuff. God only gives me the best of the best. Or maybe I would have said, like, you know what? I got to eat something. I, I, I can't go on. I got to eat something. Or how about this one, church? I'll do it just this once. God will forgive me. How many times have we done that? All the other Jewish boys are eating this food. Why can't I? See, here's the key, church. Daniel predetermined how he was gonna handle it. He resolved in his heart ahead of time what he was gonna do. He made a decision before he was faced with the temptation to do what was right. 
You know what? I, I would argue all day long as followers of Christ, your success in many spiritual avenues will be determined by what you decide ahead of time that you are going to do in your life. Some things, church, we just need to predetermine in our hearts. No matter what happens in the future, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to say. Here's how I'm going to handle it. I've decided I'm going to honor God in this way. Too many of us were freestyling, aren't we? I'll handle it when I get there. I'll make my decision when I come to the, the fork in the road. I'll decide it then. I'll decide it when it's laid right in front of me. Church, you're weak. <laughs> so am I. We're weak people. That's not a good way to go at it. You need to predetermine what you're going to do. Predetermine not to do some of the things you used to do. Man, when you get saved at that moment, church, you should predetermine. I'm not going back to that old life. I'm no longer going to get drunk. I am no longer going to sleep around. You predetermine, I no longer am going to trash talk people. If you're married, you predetermine, I am no longer going to have intimate conversations with the opposite sex. It's not my husband or wife. You also predetermine what you're going to do. I'm going to go to church every week. That, that's where I'm going to get fed. You know, I'm going to keep my eyes pure. I'm not going to be looking at that garbage online anymore. I'm going to keep my eyes pure. You determine ahead of time, church, before the temptation. You say, I am going to resolve in my heart at this moment. I'm drawing the line in the sand even before I get to that temptation. Yeah. That's what you do. When you predecide in your heart to honor God, Church, you will have to stand out. You will have to stand out. You really don't have a church choice. And if you're not standing out, remember what I told you, you're blending in. You're blending in. Then you're not fully following Christ. See, these guys did this day in and day out. It wasn't just one lunch, church. It was a long period of time that they would have had to have been in front of the king's table. And when, church, you are fully committed to Christ, listen to me this morning, when you're fully following Christ, you will realize, church, the closer you get to him, the more often you're going to be standing out. You will be standing out. And you're not ashamed of what he's done for you. You're not ashamed what he's delivered you from. I want you to look at this with wisdom, church. Check out verses 12 through 15. So remember Daniel, he decided, I don't want to defile myself. I don't want to eat that food. And so he asked the chief official for permission not to eat this food. And check this out. Daniel says this in verse 12. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this, and he tested them for 10 days. And at the end, they looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who ate the royal food. Do you see what Daniel did? Look at what they did. Instead of this big protest, instead of throwing a big fit, instead of saying, I'll burn this whole place down if you don't give me what I want. And making a scene, he presented a plan. He presented a plan respecting the authority above them. Church, that's what we're called to do, right? And then there's wisdom. The wisdom was, he's like, can we simply just try something else? 
Can we try something else? Church, you can't stand out for the right things when you're trying to do it in the wrong way. Seriously, you can't do that. Or, or you can't stand out. You can stand out for the wrong things in the wrong way as well. You know what, how many of you ever get on social media and you see somebody posting something that you don't like what they said? You know how many times I look at, oh, I got the verse for them. I'm gonna throw it out there. I'm gonna hammer it home. I'm gonna hit them upside the head with this big, large print NIV leather bound edition and I hope it hurts. My motive's wrong, isn't it? What is the word used for? To correct and rebuke in love? And I'm just being honest with you. Sometimes I just, oh, I'll show them. I'll put them in their place. It's the wrong attitude, church. It's the wrong attitude. See, there are some Christians who are standing out for the wrong things and the wrong way all the time. There are Christians who are fighting for things that are not lining up to God's word whatsoever, or they are stabbing people with the word of God in a very rude way. And that is not what God called you to do. Your motives have got to be right. Because you know what? You can cover it up with whatever flowery words you want to. God knows your heart. And he's the one that matters. He's the one that matters more. So it's not wanting the spirit. It's not wanting the spirit to convict those people. But we want to make them feel less than. Church, you can stand out in the wrong way. But church, we are called to stand out in the right way at the right time and for the right reason. But we have to have wisdom. Check out Daniel chapter 1 at the end in verse 19. So remember, they hey, let us try this test, man. Give us 10 days. And the king talked with them in verse 19. It says this, The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, or Azariah. So they entered the king's service. They were able to do what God would expect of them, to stand up. See, God gave them supernatural understanding. Have you ever known someone with supernatural understanding? Like you're sitting there just babbling and ranting and raving, and they just say something very calm and collecting to you, and you're like, Psh, where'd you get that? God gave it to them. It's a supernatural understanding. See, had these men compromised, had they not the courage to stand out? Church, I'm not telling you to sit back and blend in. I'm talking to stand out at the right time, in the right way, and for the right reason. But if they would have compromised and not had the courage to stand out, nothing historic would have happened. Nothing. I don't know about you, church, but I would, be, I would rather be remembered for standing out than forgotten for, splend, for blending in. I don't want to be forgotten for blending in. So if you're always blending in, then you're not living a full commitment to Christ. If you stand out, church, to make a statement or to put someone in their place the wrong way, you are dishonoring your God. We stand out because we call, he's called us to be different. He has called each and every one of us to be different. And so we must take a stand against the devil's schemes. Putting on the full armor of God, of course, first. And then you take a stand. And when we've done everything else, church, the Bible says, you still stand. You continue to stand. Why? Because Jesus stood. He stood and he died for us. He stood and he died for us. 
And he called for us, church, not to conform to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed, right, by the renewing of our minds. So I ask you this morning, church, how many of you are renewing your mind? You cannot be a part-time Christian if you want to have victory. So this morning, as I ask the praise team to come up here, I want you to get something this morning. We've got to ask God to lead us. How many of you seriously, every day, you're like, Lord, lead me? Too many of us, we just want to jump in and drive, don't we? I got this, Lord. No, how many of you are asking God, we've got to ask him to lead us to live in such a way, to live in such a way that your life, that my life brings glory to him. It's not about glorifying yourself. It's about bringing glory to him. If it means being different, so be it. If it means being mocked, so what? We need to want to do what God wants us to do, church. To be different, but to be different in a way that honors God. To be different in a way that's gonna bring him glory. Today, there might be somebody sitting here. You might be sitting here in church and you're realizing that you've got an area of your life right now. I mean, as you're sitting here, you're realizing the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and telling you, you've got an area of your life that you've got to start honoring God with. Maybe you gave him every other area, but this one, you're holding on to it really tight. It's making you sick, church. Seriously, it's making you stumble. And God's saying, I want you to give it to me. Maybe it's in actions. Maybe it's words that you're always speaking. Maybe it's a, a very specific area of life. Maybe even, church, you're sitting here today, you haven't given him one piece of your life. And he's saying, it's time for you to bring it to me. It's time for you to lay it down at the cross. Maybe there's some of you here today, <clears throat> you're part-time Christians, casual Christians. You've kind of got that I believe in God attitude. Scripture teaches us demons believe in God too. But believing doesn't mean that you know him personally. It's just you know he's there. So you have the head knowledge, but you don't have the heart knowledge. And guess what, church? You can have it today. I want to encourage you. If you do not know Jesus Christ personally, I want to encourage you. Come up front and you give it all to him. Saying, Lord, I give it all to you. Not just pieces of it. Not to be a casual Christian just only on Sundays, but saying, Lord, I'm laying it all down at the cross. I'm laying it at your feet. And here's the wild part, church. He will pick it up and take it. And the Bible says he will cast it as far as the east is from the west. Never to be seen again unless you reach back out and touch it and hold on to it again. So if that's for you this morning, I want to encourage you to come forward. And for the rest of you believers who are here today, Maybe you got some areas of your life that you pick back up again, that you're holding on to. Maybe you never fully gave it to God and you're trying to be that casual Christian, that part-timer, cultural Christian. Maybe today is the day you need to fully surrender. I'm talking about all of it. You come up front. The others will be up here. Kim will be up here. They'll pray with you. They'll walk it through with you. The fact is this, though, you know that it's hurting you today and you need to give it up. So how about it, church? Let's stand together and sing, but I wanna encourage you to respond this morning.